middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas and beyond. With Tommy Castor and Weston Mills, this is Keeper of the Games. Hey, what's up? Welcome into Keeper of the Games. We are the podcast that focuses on all the major sports topics happening right here in the Wichita, Kansas area, along with Weston Mills. I'm Tommy Castor. Before we launch into the show today, I want to remind you to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode of Keeper of the Games, you'll be notified. You can listen to us anywhere you find your favorite podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Pretty much all the major podcast publishers out there, you can listen to the podcast anytime, anywhere, right there on all those platforms. Don't forget to go online, cogpod.weebly.com. That's our website. You can watch full episodes on YouTube and on Facebook. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's at K-O-G-Pod. We're back for another episode. It's been a week. We've got a lot to talk about today. But before we get into it, Weston, how are things going, man? Good. Uh, spent uh, last weekend back in Wichita. It's always nice to be back. Uh, things felt fairly normal back in Wichita, which was nice. Obviously, you know, as we've talked a hundred times, still the lingering effects of uh, the coronavirus and, you know, people still social distance. But man, it actually felt more normal back home in Wichita than it did, does up here in Kansas City. I think folks are a little bit more a little slower to, to come around back to, you know, normal activities up here than, than everybody is in Wichita. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you know, obviously there are a lot of people in this area that are taking the precautions and their social distancing, you know, distancing and doing all the different things they need to be doing. But then at the same time, uh, you know, there, there are also folks that really aren't taking those precautions either. But, uh, you know, as time goes on, we, we certainly, yeah. you know, adjust and, and, and move on as, as uh, time goes on. So, um, the one thing that I want to mention is that obviously on, on the last episode of the show, you know, we mentioned that it's always darkest right before the dawn when it comes to sports. And I think we're still waiting for that dawn, you know, to happen because we're, we're still you know, obviously no, no major sporting events right now, but it does look like plans in place, at least for some things to get started here in the next several weeks or so, which is always good. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later on in the show, but our, our main story, our main topic today, we have our second ever guest for keeper of the planes. I'm going to turn it over to Weston and we're going to go from there. That's right. Uh, as Tommy and I have pointed out many a times, uh, both Kansas Kansas football basketball fans, and we you know we we've told you from the start we're going to try our hardest to bring in some other folks to talk Kansas State football. As Tommy and I, you know, we're certainly not experts in in what's going on. So today we have a, a special guest, a former Kansas State running back and defensive back, and uh, I would also say Kansas high school football legend. Uh, maybe that's my little bit of internal bias, but uh, Logan Dold is joining us today. He uh, played uh, at Kansas State from 2008 to 2011. 2008, he appeared in 10 games, starting three at running back, uh, with the team's leading rusher with 336 yards and 82 on 82 carries with three touchdowns. Um, his senior year of high school led Garden Plain to its first ever state title in 2007, rushed for 2,388 yards and 49 total <clears throat> touchdowns. Um, in the state title game, Logan finished with 289 rushing yards and five touchdowns and completed six of seven passes for 112 yards and a touchdown. That kind of is uh, that's kind of that booby miles and he can pass. Uh, but we're welcoming uh, Logan Dold onto the show today to talk uh, Kansas State football. How's it going, Logan? Good, good. How you guys doing? Doing well, man. I hope that uh, intro hyped you up enough. I hope that was everything you were talking about. 
been a while since I heard those numbers. So good. <laughs> <laughs> Always good to put it back out there. Well, but, yeah. uh, well, let's let's start it off. Uh, so now, if I remember right, you you played three years for Coach Snyder, one for Coach Prince. Is that is that right? Yeah, my freshman year we had Prince, and then the last three years is when Snyder came in and took over. So I'm going to ask you a loaded question, and you can you can take this question any way you'd like. What's it like playing for for, for Bill Snyder? It's tough. Uh, it's it's really hard to explain, but uh, he, he's all about hard work and putting in the work and doing everything the right way. Whether it's you know going to class, being on time for whatever you got going on. If you're not five minutes early, you're late with him. And I mean, my biggest thing when people ask me how he was, I mean, he, he made you work. And if if you weren't working, you weren't playing, you weren't seeing the field, and he let you know it. So that was that was the biggest thing for me. And did you notice or did you did you feel any type of, of culture shift? And I won't push you on the spot comparing, you know, Ron Prince to, to Bill Snyder. But I mean, did, did you feel I mean, can you describe what type of transition that was like when when Bill Snyder returned to, to, to the Wildcats? It was definitely different. Um, their coaching styles are two completely different styles. Uh, I'd say Coach Prince is a more hands on coach Snyder kind of was almost more of behind the scenes business guy. I mean, he was always there and around and talking to us, but um, like I said, when he, when he came over, just, just the amount of work we started putting in and you weren't doing things the right way, he'd let you know. And you know, I couldn't tell you how many guys either left the team or quit the team or got kicked off the team. Just that first part of winter conditioning when coach Schneider took <laughs> over, it was, it was just a whole new team once he came in. That's kind of how you can, can can weed out the guys that shouldn't be there anyways, right? Is always in the, right. the conditioning. Absolutely. <laughs> now, have you got a chance to meet Coach Kleiman? I haven't yet. Um, we were up there for the couple of games this fall and, you know, went up and did some tours to the stadium and things like that. And the the usually before games and stuff, I don't like getting too involved with players and things like that and after the game you know he it's being his first year and everything he's so busy running around so i haven't got to meet him yet um and then you know of course this spring normally we go up for the spring game that's usually our opportunity to do that and everything is just kind of crazy with the coronavirus stuff going on so i haven't met him yet i'm looking forward to it and he, he seems like he's the right guy for the job Hey, Logan, I'll, I'll ask you. So when it comes to Coach Kleiman, you know, obviously he's a he's a different coach than than Bill Snyder, you know, was. And, and you know, Coach Snyder built that legacy and that culture in Manhattan. You know, if I, I know, obviously, you don't know Coach Kleiman. You haven't been around him. You haven't played for him. But, you know, in your opinion, kind of walk us through what you think might be different as far as the culture is, you know, when it when it comes to those two uh, those two coaches. Just from the outside looking in, I feel like a lot of the stuff he does might be the same. It's just kind of a newer style of doing it. Um, and even talking to the players, you know, he said they are telling me they, they still work their butts off, uh, you know, climbing still big about, do, you know, doing the little things right and whatnot. Um, but just I'd say just a more new school Coach Snyder, I guess, if that makes any sense. He's a lot more active on social media and he, he connects the players. It seems like really well. And the players really seem to get along with him and like him. So new school, uh, Bill Snyder. I feel like that's the perfect transition when you, when you, when you've got a legend, you know, 
So that and that's a perfect segue. I guess we can kind of move along here and, and talk about the 2020 season. Um, you know, it looks like they're returning only two offensive starters, Skylar Thompson and soft, sophomore wide receiver Malik Knowles on offense. Defense has six uh, defenders returning, including all Big 12 junior Wyatt Huber at defensive end. Now, and the defensive unit was was second in the Big Twelve last year in scoring defense. What are we What are we going to expect out of this K State group? What What do you look as as probably going to be the strength of this team? You know, it's it's hard saying. I I think Kleiman's strength is he likes to control the ball and he likes to play good defense. And like like you said, yeah, I don't know if they return any offensive line this year. So I think that's going to be a a big deal for them this year is getting those guys in there. But, you know, when you've got a, a coach like Kleiman, who's constantly competed for national championships, he, he's going to find the right guys to fill those voids. And, um, you know, I, I think he'll get them where they need to be. It's just going to be maybe a little bit more work, you know, not returning that big chorus starters that he had the year before. Hey, Logan, you know, so obviously with the Wildcats, you know, just one of the things that uh, I think everybody knows about K-State is that, you know, they're going to be the team that, you know, they're going to control the clock. You know, they're going to not turn the ball over. You know, they're going to play solid defense for the most part. One of the questions has, you know, always been, and, and really whether it's with Coach Kleiman or Coach Snyder or, you know, whatever, is how are they going to score the football? And I know that you were, you know, a former running back for the Wildcats. What do you think in, in, a, in a conference like the Big 12 when you're playing teams like Texas and Oklahoma that, you know, they're, they're going to put up so many points on the board? You know, what, what does it take for the Wildcats to match that on the offensive side of the ball? On the offensive side of the ball, um, you know, same thing. They're going to have to control the clock. Um, they can rely on that defense. Um, like you said, they ranked second scoring defense last year. So that that's going to be the biggest thing is, you know, the defense keeping the offenses off the field. And when our offense is on the field, um, we're, we're usually not the run and gun type team. However, climate does seem to have a few more things that we haven't had in the past as far as scoring a little bit quicker and things like that. We've got a few weapons on the outside that are coming back. Uh, lost a few, but, you know, biggest thing is with, with everybody, um, No, you can't turn the ball over. That's that's huge, especially in the Big 12 with these offenses just scoring at will. Um, but my, my thing would be just control the ball, no turnovers, and then offense just let that defense, you know, control the other side of that part and, Shut, shut that other offense down a little bit more. I think probably one of the most exciting players for, for K-State, just from a dynamic play aspect last year, was was freshman Josh Youngblood, who was mostly involved just in the kick return game. Do you expect to see him make a flash on offense, whether it's, you know, I don't know, he's a wide receiver, whether it's actually catching the ball or, you know, I, I hate to use the word gadgety, but a lot of times those kick returners that kind of transition into wide receiver – seems like coordinators will kind of find gadgety ways to get them the ball. Or do you expect to see that this year or, or have any expectations I, for him? I hope so. Um, and, you know, he's, he's proved that he's an athlete. He can run. And when you got a guy like that on the team, you, you got to find ways to get in the ball. And, you know, they got uh, Malik Knowles as well to take some pressure off him. But I think getting young blood, the ball, whether it's, you know, in the flats or some bubble routes or, you know, even over the top when you got a guy with that, that much speed that can run by people, you got to find ways and opportunities to get in the ball. 
You know, I think we know that, uh, you know, Skylar Thompson coming in, he's not going to light the world on fire, right? I mean, he's not going to break any passing records. That's not really Skylar Thompson's game, but he is efficient. He is effective, you know, and he runs that offense really well. Obviously, he's got another year under his belt. Uh, I would imagine, you know, and, and Logan, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I would imagine that we're going to see Skylar Thompson really lead this offense at an even greater level than he did last year. I think so. Um, with the experience that he has now and a whole another year under Kleiman's offense, uh, my, my hopes is that he's just going to take off with this thing. And uh, from what I've heard, Kleiman, once he gets trust in those quarterbacks, he kind of lets them run the show. And I think Skyler's the, the guy to do it. He's like, he's not going to beat you necessarily running the ball, passing the ball, but he does everything combined so good and controlling that offense that I think he's just going to take over. So being a defensive guy myself, I got to ask about the defense. Obviously we know everybody probably knows the name Wyatt Hubert, a defensive end. Is there anybody else? And I'll probably, I'll go ahead and exclude Elijah Sullivan, who was the Liberty bowl defensive MVP last year. Is there a, is there a name on the defense? And I'm kind of putting you on the spot here that, you're looking to, to, to you know, maybe 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 make a name this year that maybe you played a little bit last year, but you're really looking at it might take a step forward in, in 2020. Um, like you said, Wyatt Huebner, man, he was the guy last year. Um, as far as this year, you know, they didn't really return a lot of guys, right? Um, but um, I know they lost Denzel Goolsby and yeah, some other guys. But as far as big time playmakers. Um, you know, they may just have to have someone step up. And I mean, with K-State, it always seems they have those guys that maybe didn't really know about or hear yeah. about. So, um, yeah, I think they're going to have to rely on someone to, you know, step up and be that guy this year. I feel like Kansas State for the last 10 years has had some fantastic defensive end who was a walk-on at some point, but it's just, a, <laughs> I mean, that just seems to be their M.O. Yeah. They they have all we've always made a living off of uh, you know finding these walk on guys and I know when I was playing there you know we had Ian Campbell that was there and uh, you know J- Jordy Nelson had left right before I got there but there was I think two or three guys on our team that turned down um, a couple of Division one offers not big time offers but some you know one kid has I think like a North Dakota offer full ride that he turned down to come walk on at K State so. You know, I think that's something that K-State's really lived on and thrived on is finding those kids and, um, you know, just that mentality. You put in the work and take care of your business on and off the field. You know, anyone can find that position. I think even uh, B.J. Finney came in as a walk-on. I mean, he, he's, he had a great career and has done extremely well in the NFL as well. So it's just something that they've, they've always thrived on, the coaches, whether it's Snyder and Kleiman seems to be getting those guys too is yeah those that not not overlooking anybody that uh andale high school and garden plain high school they they seem to pump out some pretty uh top end talent i I would say (laughs) i'd say so they've always (laughs) been they've always been you know the talk around the wichita area so so for those who who, for those who don't know I was just going to say, for those who don't know, I, I played high school football at uh, Andell at the same time Logan was at Garden Plain, which was both part of the Rinwick School District. And it's kind of a, uh, I don't know, passive rivalry, even though the schools yeah. don't play each other. A rivalry that never was, I guess. I mean, they used <laughs> to play each other back in the day, but now it would have been fun back back in 
what, 2007 when we were both going at it for state championships to play each other. I think it was yeah. a heck of a game. Absolutely. I do have to say to both of you guys that I'm a little jealous about the the high school football teams that you played on. I didn't play in high school, but I I went to Clearwater. And when I was there, we were really bad. I mean, we were like three and 33 over the course of (laughs) four years that I was in high school. Uh, That was rough going. So both of you guys, you were able to play uh, for schools that had a little bit more success than I did. Yeah, it was, uh, I would say it was quite the time to be at uh, Inner Rinwick High School uh, school at the time and they're still and they're still competing on a very high level i know garden plane and andel andel coming off a state championship last year and i think garden plane has been right there over the last few years if that's right logan yeah yeah they've been doing pretty well um they just got a new coach this year our current coach just got a head job over at andover so that'll be a transition this year um but the last the last couple of years they've they've gotten better. They took a few years where they kind of slowed down a little bit, but um, you know, they're always playoff contenders and they're always, they're always up up there in the mix. So I want to take a second and go back and, and talk a little bit more about uh, your career at K state. Now in the four years you were there, did, how, did you get to go? Am I right? It was it three bowl games. I went to the pinstripe bowl and the cotton bowl. So just the two. two. Okay. What and then a, the, the year I left, um, they went to the Fiesta Bowl when they won the Big Twelve Championship. Well, shoot! I was my my follow up <laughs> question was my follow up question was going to be which you know which of the bowls that you attended was the best. But I would go ahead and venture to say the Cotton Bowl was better than the Pinstripe Bowl. No, absolutely. We, I mean, New York is fun. It was a good experience, but uh, when we got there, they had I want to say almost a record setting snowfall when we landed. Yankee Stadium was cool, but they had heaters everywhere. The fuel was completely frozen. And, <laughs> uh, the Cotton Bowl definitely treated us well. Oh, I, I can imagine. Well, and I guess I guess we we would be uh, probably not doing a very good job if we didn't ask you about the new NCAA rule or proposal. I, I'm actually not sure where we currently stand if it's actually passed as a bylaw yet, but allowing players to profit off their likeness. What I mean, what is your thought on that as you've now been out of K State for a few years? I'm I'm 100 for it. I, I don't know if it's yeah. because I play. Uh, I mean, yeah, our our college is you know paid for for those that are on scholarship and whatnot, but um, but that doesn't really cover you know. School's making so much money off whether I'm not saying pay players to play, right? But um, you know, using their names and things, you know, jerseys and things like that. Um, I, I see absolutely no issue with that. Um, and grand, obviously, certain players are making more money than others, which I don't know if that'll cause any issues within the team itself. Um, but I, I've never necessarily been against any players getting any additional money. It was when I was playing there, my freshman year, you know, they pay for your school. They, they pay for your, to stay in the dorms, but you don't get any extra money unless you're, you know, living off campus. So for me, you know, I couldn't, if I missed dinner or breakfast at the dorms, dinner or whatever is on me, I didn't have a job. Um, so I'm having a call, you know, my parents said, Hey, can I have a couple bucks to, you know, fill up my car or go get lunch or, something like that so i mean it's not as you're not as well off i guess as some people might think 
Right. Uh, but, but you are getting your college paid for. I'm not taking anything away from that because, you know, going to school and getting a degree and not having any college debt's huge. But um, it, it's definitely not as not as well off as some people may think that you are. There could definitely be some pretty good, uh, some pretty lucrative uh, endorsements from uh, down in Aggieville. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened <laughs> down the road. You never know. I, 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 yeah, it wouldn't surprise me none at all. <laughs> you, you, I, I can only, I can imagine you probably would have had to deal with Fisher Lumber or something like that, right? Oh, man, I would have loved it. I would have loved it. <laughs> Well, Tommy, do you have any any final questions? I think I blew past my like three final questions that I was going to have. Yeah, I don't. I mean, the only thing that I'll, I'll say that the final thing for for me when we're talking about K State football is that you know obviously I'm a I'm a Jayhawk. I have been you know my entire life, but you know I have to say when you you know I think originally you know when you had both you had Les Miles getting hired by KU and you had Chris Kleiman being hired by K State. You know, obviously the Jayhawks, you know, they they won the press conference, right? I mean, that was a, a splashy move. But you look at the success that Kleiman had in year one, you know, going eight and five, and then just the the kind of guy he is and the culture that he's instilled uh, in Manhattan. You know, I think that you're, you know, looking at a guy who's going to be in Manhattan for a long time, you know, and is going to have a ton of success. So, I, you know, I think that was a great move. And I think 2020 is going to be a great year. Yeah, I, I hope so. I I think he's the guy for the job. And I hope he is here for the long haul and, you know, I'm sure if he keeps having good years, there might be other schools coming after him, but uh, I've, and when they first hired him, I was just like everyone else, a little concerned with the hire, but he's had a winning culture. He's won everywhere he's gone. So, um, you know, he's seemed to fit right in and I, I really do think he's the guy for the job there at K-State. All right, Logan, the, the final, final question from me is there's a, a mutual friend of ours that's birthday is today. He was your high school kicker, my, yes, co- my college kicker, and my best man. Do you want to wish him a happy birthday? Because he's one of our like six listeners. Oh, yeah. Austin. Uh, Austin Lady's birthday today. I saw that today. The big uh, three. Big, big three one. Oh, man, big three one. Um, <laughs> speaking of Austin, when he was and I, I think his record just got broke maybe the last couple of years, but he was the state record holder That's for right. extra points made in a season. He, I mean, he was a heck of a kicker back in the day. Um, I know. But, I, was, I was real happy to, to know that he fell fell under the radar in, in high school and, and <laughs> me at Southwestern. <laughs> yeah, he was a hell of a kicker. He really was. Yeah, he, uh, he, he was good. And I remember we were at, oh, I, I want to say we were playing at Goddard's High School and he, want to say it was like a 47 yarder that he made it was it was a heck of a kick yeah and i think a record maybe just got broke a few years ago i think he told me that i think he did well well, awesome we really appreciate you coming on logan and and talking some kansas state football you know once football season actually rolls around and uh you know we're we're in the the thick of things we may have to have you back and, and talk some more football yeah absolutely i appreciate you guys and thanks for having me on awesome thanks a lot logan thanks logan Thank you. Good stuff there from Logan Dold, former uh, K-State Wildcat running back and defensive back, talking about the uh, the upcoming uh, Wildcat season, college football season, uh, you know, starting this fall. Hopefully, Weston will be able to have a normal uh, college football season with normal fans in the stands, and hopefully all that, uh, that, that happens. I mean, it's nice to actually talk about sports and, you know, something to look forward to. I know, it, you know, so I've got two, two quick comments. One, it sounds like I'm starting to hear like transition in the, the talk of athletic directors and coaches that, Hey, maybe this actually looks like they're 
seeing what it'll look like with normal fans in the stands. And then my number two, sorry, Kansas fans, which includes myself. I'm going to kind of do a slight um, diss here, but you know, I feel like Kansas won't have a problem if they need to have social distancing at the football games. Cause that has not been a problem <laughs> the last few years. Yeah, no, I think the only game recently that I remember going to uh, within the last couple of years that there were actually a lot of fans in the stands uh, they were playing K-State and the majority of the fans were Wildcat fans. Yep, so, yep. yeah, I don't think they're going to have any trouble keeping people apart uh, at uh, Jayhawk games this fall uh, for sure. And, you know, like you mentioned, you know, a lot of these sports are now having conversations about what it's going to look like and transitioning into, you know, sporting events, whether it's later this summer or, uh, you know, into the fall. I know the NBA has, you know, sort of, uh, I don't know if they've released plans themselves or if it's been leaked about kind of what uh, they're looking at doing to finish out the regular season in the playoffs. But the one sport that is having trouble right now at the time of this recording is Major League Baseball, which makes me so sad because these are the guys that this, you know, right now they should be in the heart of the Major League season and the owners and the union just cannot seem to get on the same page about what they're going to do to get back out, out on the field. And it really comes down to money. Uh, and that's really disheartening to me. Hopefully they're able to figure out a plan. But uh, right now they're kind of at a stalemate. Uh, I'm not sure how much you follow that story or not. But, you know, the, the days are, are sort of drifting away. They need to make a decision here pretty quickly. Yeah, it looks like the last I had saw, um, there was a float, floated the idea of a 50 game season, which, you know, and I kind of heard the analysis of, it, it sounds like that might be kind of the owner's way to say, okay, fine, you're not going to take a, a, a pay cut. Well, then we're going to suggest a shorter season. So your prorated salary is you know, even, even less. And, and maybe there is a balance. I, I feel like I, I think I came on this podcast either last time or the time before and said, Hey, you know, I kind of find myself siding with the owners. And, you know, honestly, at this point, I think since then I've kind of transitioned back and forth really, you know, and, and I think what that really means is it just like you kind of introduced this, it's kind of a no win for both sides. And it just feels unfortunate for all of us that, that they can't figure this out, but you know, it, it, it sounds like there are a, f a few good apples here, um, particularly with what the Royals are doing with their minor leaguers. Yeah, no, without a doubt. I mean, we talked about on this podcast last week about how the Miami Marlins at the time, they were the only Major League Baseball team committed to paying their minor leaguers through the end of the regular season. Uh, and, and since that time, there have been other teams that have come out, you know, and, and they've committed to doing that. And then there have been other teams on the other side that not only have they not committed to it, but they've let a bunch of minor leaguers go. Uh, but the Royals are one of the teams that they committed to not releasing the minor leaguers and to paying them, uh, you know, through the end of the season, which which, you know, I think really speaks to the character of the club. It speaks to the character of Dayton Moore. Uh, it, it speaks a lot to the character of the new ownership uh, with John Sherman, you know, and, and, and the group there, you know, so definitely committing to being able to take care of these minor leaguers at a time when, you know, they're for sure living paycheck to paycheck. I think it speaks volumes. Yeah. And it sounds like a lot of, a lot of current players for the Royals and a lot of former players for the Royals have really uh, spoken up about, about Dayton Moore 
Moore. And I, and I, I missed where this quote came from. I don't know if Dayton Moore was interviewed, but he had this quote to say, he said, understand this, the minor league players, the players you'll never know about, the players that never get out of rookie ball or high A, those players have as much impact on the growth of our game than 10-year or 15-year veteran players. They have as much opportunity to influence the growth of our game as those individuals who played for a long time because those individuals go back into their communities and teach the game, work in academies, are JUCO coaches, college coaches, scouts, coaches in pro baseball. They're growing the game constantly because they're so passionate about it. So we felt it was really, really important to not release one minor league player during this time, a time we needed to stand behind them. So I've seen Mike Moustakis, you know, tweet about this saying how great it was to play for Dayton. I saw Eric Moore or Eric Hosmer tweet about it. I saw Whit Merrifield tweet about it. Um, and there were several others that I'm, I'm missing. And I think there was a lot of a current uh, Danny Duffy, I think had something to say about it. And it's just really cool um, to see both past and current players, you know, really connect, I guess, with their, with their general manager, especially in a time where we've seen this kind of contention between, and I know it's not GMs, but owners and players, kind of the higher ups and players. So really cool for the Royals to have, you know, this good moment and, and really to get it, I guess, is, is the kind of the main point. And just think about the the extreme difference for a second between what the Royals organization is doing for their players and then at the same time, what the overall ownership of Major League Baseball and the franchises and the players themselves are arguing about right now. I mean, obviously, we're talking about minor leaguers with the Royals organization, and this is a, a major league issue with you know major, major salaries and you know big-time money being exchanged. But at the same time, can you imagine – the absolute PR nightmare that that would happen if the owners and the players are not able to come to terms on a season. I mean, of all years, this is the time that people need baseball, right? I mean, like the, you know, getting these, these guys out on the field, assuming that the, the health protocols are followed and everything is safe and good to go. If the only issue standing in their way is money, that's a terrible look right now. Yeah. You know, and I'll, I know we've said this, we've repeated it so many times. I'm sure our listeners are getting tired of me saying it, but I just, I think there's too much money to be made for something not to happen. I, you know, I ultimately, I do think they, they find this, but I, you know, I am, and I'm kind of disappointed even if it's only going to be a 50 game season. Cause I, you know, it, it just really feels like that's a missed opportunity. And if it's a 50 game season, I, I just want to interject. No, sure. Is it even, is it, is it even worth playing a 50 game season? Like, why not just shut the whole season down then? I mean, why get everybody ready to go spring training and all of that for a 50 game season? Yeah. And, and that, and that's, I guess kind of exactly what I was getting at too. And I mean, I think we all would prefer baseball preferred to, you know, over no baseball, but that, I mean, it's like, man, you know, we could have just hopped on this and, and got a half of a season out of it. And, you know, you're going to, no matter what happens, whoever wins this year, uh, whatever the format is, there's kind of always going to be an asterisk. Well, yeah, that was, that was the COVID season. You know, that's what, what we're, what we're doing here. But end of the day, you know, Everybody wants baseball. The owners want baseball. The players want to play baseball. The fans want to watch it. Um, and again, because of that, there's there's money to be made. And I, I think we'll get there. It's just a matter of how and when, but hopefully, hopefully sooner rather than later. You know, and going back to the whole Royal situation, I mean, you know, I think it's pretty telling that you've got teams like the Royals that, you know, they're a small market team. You've got a team like the Marlins with their minor league franchise in Wichita. 
you know, they're, they're not a, they're not a small market team, but yet they don't make a lot of money. Their, their revenue is not very high. These are the franchises and there are others that are out there too, but these are the franchises that are saying, you know what, these players are an integral part of our organization without them. We don't have the future of our ball club. We need to take care of them. Then you've got, you know, other franchises out there, some of which are in much larger markets and make much more money that not only did not commit to pay their minor leaguers through the end of the year, but also cut a bunch of minor leaguers as well. And can you imagine, you know, staying on with this franchise, maybe a franchise that drafted you or traded for you. And because of a pandemic, you know, they, they lost their, their career, they lost their job they don't have any protection. They don't get benefits. They don't have anything like that. What do you do? There's no other way to play baseball right now. You got to go find a job somewhere else, you know? And, and so those are things that, you know, when, when you really look at it from a, a a logical humanistic point of view, uh, I think that's where it's super telling for organizations like the Marlins and the Royals to shoulder that financial burden and take care of their players. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we talked about this when we kind of talked about the Marlins doing this. And I think it's, of course, it's the right thing to do. And and I'm glad that both organizations did that. But also just from a competitive standpoint, you know, players are seeing what teams are treating what players in certain ways. You know, one of these minor leaguers that's in double A, single A, who may become a Whit Merrifield at some point and gets to go in free agency at some point, whether it's, or it's a Royals player who's currently there. And he, he's going to remember when free agency comes, Hey, do I want to give a little bit of discount and stay with the Royals or, you know, go somewhere else to an organization that may not, you know, care about me as a person as much. Um, You know, it sounds I don't know. That might sound cheesy or silly, but I, I think that's a realistic takeaway for for organizations like the Royals and the Marlins. Yeah, I don't think it is. I mean, you know, the thing about pro sports, it's ruthless and it's brutal and it's uncaring, you know, and it's 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 about winning and it's about making as much money as possible. And it's obviously entertainment for the fans, but it, it's a ruthless business. And I always I know this is kind of it might be kind of a cheesy uh, example, but I always think of the movie Moneyball, you know, and, and and Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill and, you know, Brad Pitt's telling Jonah Hill, uh, you know, Billy Bean is is telling his assistant or whatever that you got to learn how to fire people. Right. And, and you know, you got to do it really quick and you got to rip off the bandaid and tell this player that we're releasing you or we're sending you down to the minors or we just traded you. I mean, you got to deliver that bad news. So it is a pretty ruthless business. But if you've got franchises that are willing to shoulder that cost to take care of their players in a time when you know, this is unprecedented and, and what's happening right now has never happened before. You've got these franchises that, you know, I, I think I would I wouldn't be surprised if the Royals and the Marlins they, I'm, I'm sure they got reports from, you know, their, their analysts or their accountants or whoever handles their money in the organization and, and said, look, you would save X number of dollars to cut these guys and these organizations, Dayton Moore, you know, John Sherman, the ownership of the Marlins. I'm sure Derek Jeter was involved in that, you know, in some capacity said, we're not, we're not cutting these minor leaguers. We're going to pay them you know, through the end of the season. I think that's, that's again, I think it shows that these franchises are willing to take care of their players. Right. You know, and, and like I said, I mean, of course we were kind of breaking down the, Hey, what does this mean for the franchise side? But also it's just good to see that 
they're doing what's probably the right decision, right? I, I don't yeah. think there's many anybody who would probably take the other side and say, "Hey, well, these guys, you know, what are they, they're not owed anything." I mean, maybe there are some people out there, but I think the majority of folks going that that's just the right move to make. Right. It might not be the best thing money wise. It probably right. isn't the best thing money wise, but it's the right thing to do, you know, humanistically speaking. And and the and the one thing I'll, I'll say is that hopefully these franchises that were committed to doing that for their minor leaguers, they're able to hopefully rub off on their brethren around the league and they're able to find a way to come together to actually have a season. Um, you know, I, I don't know what that looks like. And, and as of this time, that just hasn't happened yet. I mean, it kind of sounds like there's a stalemate. Um, hopefully they're able to come to a conclusion and we can have, you know, some form of baseball happening in the next several weeks or so. We'll have to kind of keep uh, keep an eye on it and see yep. what ends up happening. But uh, as of right now, no deal yet for Major League Baseball to resume. We're going to get into professional football, the NFL right now, and talk a little bit about Patrick Mahomes, which is always a uh, an awesome topic, an awesome guy to talk about. We could talk about what his... I don't know what he had for lunch and probably gush about it for 10 minutes, but uh, <laughs> that's just how much we love Patrick Mahomes on this show. Uh, but, but we were talking before we came on, on the podcast today uh, about uh, a new ranking that Patrick Mahomes shows up in. And I want to get your take on that and kind of let our listeners know what's going on with that. Yeah. So pro football focus, most, most uh, people who follow the NFL probably have a, a good idea about pro football focus. They're kind of the, the leaders in the way of, providing NFL analysis through the lens of like watching the film and breaking these guys down actually from a, you know, a, a actual film standpoint in a, in a gameplay standpoint than just stats that are on the page. So they've built up a pretty good reputation for um, really analyzing players and kind of how they, they rank amongst the league. So they did a pro football um, 50 this year. And so it's, the NFL's 50 best players as we look ahead to the 2020 NFL season. And I will read you the top five. Um, number five is tight end George Kittle for the 49ers. Number four, guard Quentin Nelson from, for the Colts. Number three, wide receiver Julio Jones for the Atlanta Falcons. Number two, our very own Kansas City Chief quarterback Patrick Mahomes. And number one, defensive lineman Aaron Donald for the LA Rams. So uh, obviously Pat falling number two on this. And, and, you know, it's very hard, I think, to do a cross analysis when you're comparing a, for example, a quarterback to a defensive lineman. And I think you really look at, you know, how dominate dominant a player is at their given position. That's kind of the only way you can kind of do that cross analysis. And, uh, you know, I personally don't have any problem with the way this ranking falls. I mean, Aaron Donald is an unbelievable talent, but boy, it's good to see a chiefs quarterback at number two on this list. The one thing I think is interesting, you know, about, um, you know, about this ranking in this list. And, you know, I, I agree with you. I don't have a huge issue with Aaron Donald being number one, but I do have an issue with this statement that they say in the ranking where they say he's the best player in the NFL by a distance. I don't know if I would say by a distance, like I would think that he and Mahomes, again, it's hard to, to compare when they're not the same position and they're doing completely different things on the field. But I would think they've got to be pretty neck and neck. Like, I'm not sure it's like Aaron Donald up here and then Patrick Mahomes all the way down here. You know, I just, I'm not sure that I really like that language, but overall I agree with you. I don't have a huge issue with Aaron Donald being number one and Patrick Mahomes being two. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting because you, I mean, you obviously you just have to go ahead and give 
Patrick a bump for being a quarterback. And, and we know how much bigger the quarterback position, what, how much bigger of an impact it has on the game. It just does. But boy, if you watch the tape and you, or you catch highlights of Aaron Donald, the thing he does, I mean, it is, I mean, it's unbelievable how well he dominates offensive line, but I'll, I'll give you a little bit of uh, info or I'll, I'll read you what they wrote about Patrick Mahomes. And so they kind of address this issue between number two and number one, where they say, if there's a player who has a hope of rivaling Donald as the best in the league, regardless of position, it's likely Mahomes. What we're seeing from the young quarterback has never been done before, not necessarily statistically, but stylistically. And I think that's kind of, Really, for both Aaron Donald and Patrick Mahomes, you're seeing guys dominate football teams in different ways than we've ever seen it be done before. Obviously, Pat, you know, he has the flash of the no-look passes, the jump passes, the the absolute cannon of an arm, the, you know, rolling to his left but throwing with his right and still putting on a dot to um, – Charkandrick West, uh, you know, a third, fourth string running back, uh, you know, for a 35 yard touchdown. I mean, it is unbelievable. And that's kind of, I think, why this ranking, um, I think it's, it's, it's spot on for me. I, I really like at least one and two. I, 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 on a side note, this is kind of unrelated to the Chiefs. Not sure George, I love George Kittle. Not sure he should be number five. That seems way too high, but uh, that's a debate for another day. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think it's pretty telling about the Chiefs as a whole that they've got five players in the, not just the top 50, they've got five players in the top 25 uh, in this ranking. You've got Pat Mahomes at number two, Chris Jones at number 16. Uh, you've got Travis Kelsey at 19. Tyree Kill comes in at 22 and Mitchell Schwartz at 23, uh, which, you know, I think is really telling that you've got I, and I don't think there's another team that's got nearly that many people in the top 25, much less the top 50. Again, shows how much this team is just stacked. Yeah, absolutely. And and if we want to talk about like a gap, gaps between players, and of course we know I'm biased, but you can't if if you're if you're telling me there's that big a difference between Aaron Donald at one and Patrick two, there cannot be that big of a difference between George Kittle at five and Travis Kelsey at nineteen. Those two are neck and neck for the best tight end in football. So there really shouldn't be that big of a gap in my opinion. Um which I, I think with that being said, I think Travis at 19 kind of makes sense when you look at the list. It just should be George Kittle, I think, should be a little bit lower down towards towards Trav. Well, and same thing that, you know, Aaron Donald at number one and Chris Jones at 16. Like, yeah. I think that, you know, Chris Jones, uh, he's not he's not Aaron Donald, but he's pretty damn close, in my opinion. I mean, he's, yeah. you know, they're, they're, I don't want to say they're neck and neck, but I think that you might need to see. Chris Jones a little bit higher up than 16. So that would be probably my only grief with the entire ranking. Yeah. And then on, maybe on that note too, Mitchell Schwartz is probably underrated. I mean, he, I mean, I think he's very clearly the best right tackle in football, but maybe that's kind of why he, you know, falls, you know, all the way down to 23. there. just kind of when you, I guess, evaluate the value of a right tackle. I suppose, you know, it kind of hampers you down. But I think Mitchell Swartz has been kind of under the radar as the best right tackle in football for a few years now. Yeah. At the end of the day, though, you know, obviously it's a luxury to have five players in the top 25, <laughs> yeah. and especially a guy like Pat Mahomes at number two, you know, altogether when you're ranking the top 50 football players coming into the year 2020 from pro football focus. Let's get into our Wichita whip around today. We're talking about the Kansas Sports Hall of Fame. They announced their class of 2020. 
uh, within the last 24 hours or so uh, that the ceremony is going to be on Sunday, October 4th at the Kansas Star Casino. And there are a lot of a uh, lot of inductees and a lot of them from Wichita. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to take a look at the list of who's being inducted, uh, but there are some pretty big names getting inducted yeah. in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, Jordy Nelson's going to jump off the list right off the bat. Drew Gooden, Terrence Newman, Darren Sproles. I mean, this is a this is a big list. But and then really, if you go back to the, you know, obviously, um, Wichita East High School, uh, Kim Begel, three time state high jump champion. You got uh, Flint Hills High School, uh, Heather Dodderer. I'm going to screw that up. Uh, Steve Fritz, who's from South Southeast of Saline. Uh, my actual my uh, summer league baseball coach back in the day was from Southeast of Saline, so that's a fun little connect. I have no idea. I don't think there's any connection to Steve Fritz though. Other than, other than that, uh, you got Wichita East <laughs> High, High School, um, Adrian Griffin. So you got, I mean, you've got a lot of local guys on here. Other than obviously, you've got your exceptions of like Drew Gooden, who's from California but played at the University of Kansas. Um, I guess really the other ones, I mean, you know, Jordy Nelson out of Riley County, Terrence Newman out of Salina Central, Darren Sproles out of Olathe North. I mean, this is a pretty good uh, list of folks here. Yeah, it's a pretty heavy K-State football class, right? I mean, you know, Jordy Nelson, (laughs) Terrence Newman, Darren Sproles. But then, you know, also going back to the more the more local, the more Wichita, uh, you know, inductees. How about Casey Blake, you know, who played for Wichita State uh, baseball and was a 13 year Major League Baseball veteran being inducted uh, into the Hall of Fame as well. And Adrian Griffin, who was a two time all Big East basketball selection and nine year NBA veteran. He's from Wichita getting inducted as well. So, you know, you're going through this list and looking at all the different inductees. And obviously, uh, you know, there are names that are jumping off the page of like big time inductees, Drew Gooden, Jordy Nelson, you know, the list goes on and on. But then, you know, Wichita is pretty well represented as well. And, uh, you know, for good reason, you know, I think a lot of times when you're looking at the state of Kansas, you know, you look at what's happening in the Kansas City Metro, you know, as far as, you know, who the the big pro athletes are coming out of that area. But Wichita, there are some pretty solid ICT products as well uh, that uh, that make it big. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, like like we, we've talked about before, there's a there's always been a lot of high end talent in the Wichita sports scene. And, it, you know, it's good to see, you know, folks getting recognized and, and certainly, I guess, you know, kind of make the Wichita area proud. I mean, not that they didn't if they weren't inducted, but, you know, it's always nice to get that stamp of validation at the end of a at the end of a long career. Yeah, so again, that induction ceremony takes place on August 4th at the Kansas Star Casino in Mulvane. Uh, And again, there are 10 members in the class. Uh, The total number of Kansas Sports Hall of Fame inductees, 307. Uh, And it's currently the Hall of Fame is located at the Wichita Boathouse downtown, and it's in its 59th year of operation. So uh, pretty cool. Again, some good news uh, to be announced uh, today as far as the Kansas Sports Hall of Fame class of 2020. That's our Wichita whip around today. Typically during uh, our show at this time, when we get out of the Wichita whip around, we segue into our finally funny. We're not going to do a finally funny today. We've got a little bit of time left on the show. The main reason we're not going to do a finally funny today is because just really the the state of where we're at right now and what's happening in our country 
Um, there's not a whole lot to laugh about right now. There's not a whole lot of really funny and happy news to joke around about and make fun of. I'm sure that there is uh, out there, but we've chosen on this episode to uh, to not do that, but instead kind of highlight in our own way, just briefly about what's happening uh, in our country and the protesting and um, you know all of the all of the events that's been happening over the last week or so. Um, you know, I don't know about you, Weston. I've had a lot of time to reflect and think about, you know, what, what's been happening over the last 10 days or so uh, after the murder of George Floyd in, in Minneapolis. And, you know, you look at what's going on around the country. Um, it really, it's, you know, not only has what we've gone through with the coronavirus been unprecedented, but what we've seen over the last 10 days has been as well. And it just sort of piles on uh, to the overall feeling that we've had over the last few months. And, and really, I think more than anything, uh, my major emotion is just sadness right now. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I, I've obviously only been on this earth for 30 years, but, you know, the, to start a year like we've started 2020, uh, you know, I have never seen anything like it. And, you know, certainly hope that we don't have a start to a year like like this ever again. I mean, obviously, that's kind of not how the world works for the, there will be tougher times again, and there will be better times again. Um you know, but I certainly always hope and wish and, and pray for the best. Yeah. You know, I think it's really without doing a, a whole commentary on, on, on everything. I do think that the role that sports plays um, and there are, there, there are, there are several roles that, you know, sports can play uh, when it comes to current events. And, and I think that when everything was happening with the virus, uh, I think we all got an idea of how much we missed having that escape, right? And having that opportunity to just sit down and watch a basketball game or watch a football game or a baseball game or a golf tournament or a tennis match or whatever it was, we missed having that escape. Everything got really real because we had we had no escape, no nothing to go and cheer for. Our teams weren't playing. Everybody was sidelined. So in that situation, sports served as an escape. In this situation of what we've been going through over the last 10 days, sports has a really important role to be to use its platform for good, you know, to use its platform for change and to use its platform for justice. And I know that there are some people out there that are going to say, shut up and dribble or shut up and throw the football or whatever. But at the same time, these guys have a have a platform, you know, and and you know, so some of them have been able to do that effectively, others not so well. Um, you know, but I, you know, I, I know this is kind of polarizing and I know this might, and again, I don't want to get into a whole commentary, but you have to look at a guy like Colin Kaepernick, you know, who knelt down for as long as he did and was ridiculed and mocked and made fun of and made memes over, lost his job. And now, now look at where we are today. And I'm just saying, I'm just throwing it out there. Maybe people should have listened to him a little bit more back then. Uh, I'm not saying that would have changed everything, but it, it might might have helped. You never know. Well, I guess I'll I'll add this. You know, sports have been a big part of my life for all all 30 years. I'll go ahead and say, and you know, I think something that I learned very early on from playing sports is that there is nothing. I mean, frankly, nothing that I can think of that brings people together like sports does. That's whether you're teammates with someone, whether you're at Arrowhead, you're at Kaufman, you're at Bramblage, you're at Bill Snyder Family Stadium, you're at Charles Koch Arena. It, it doesn't matter. There's nothing that brings folks together from all different backgrounds, all different races, all different you know, upbringings, all different socioeconomic statuses together with one common goal. 
And that's to, you know, take two hours, three hours out of their day to enjoy rooting on the team that they've probably grown up and have generations of their family cheering for that team. Or, you know, on your alternative, you know, you're going into a locker room with 20 other guys that weren't, weren't brought up like you. You're in a locker room with, you know, if it's football with 80 other guys, all sorts of backgrounds. And it, it doesn't matter. You've got one goal and that's success, right? And that's whether you're a fan or a player, it's success. And you can define success however you want. And certainly we can define success in life however you want. But that is, you know, what sports represents, I think, is what is really what we're all striving to reach. And, you know, I think it makes it even tougher right now with, with Corona and sports not being on. That's something that we need. It's always been, I think one of the, the greatest um, unifiers that we have. And, and I mean, it means a lot to me. So maybe I'm, maybe I have a little bit stronger feelings about sports or being on a sports team. Um, but you know, it plays such an important role, I think in our society. Well, and you know, I think you make a great point. Not only is it a distraction or an escape, but it's also a great example, right? It's a great example of of where we should be, you know, and, and what we should be doing in our own lives. And, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, we have to walk a pretty fine line. And and I know you hate me lumping you into the world of media, but really that's what that's what we are, you know, right now. Uh, and especially as we continue to grow uh, and get more listeners, we do have a platform. So on the one hand, you know, you have to walk that fine line of, all right, do we use that platform at all to talk about what's going on? Or are we that escape, you know, for an hour to talk about sports? I think it's important to kind of walk that line. And at the same time, you have to acknowledge it, right? I mean, it's the biggest thing going on in our country right now. You have to acknowledge it. If there's a way to relate it back to sports, great, but let's not let it dominate what we're talking about because we do want to be an escape, you know? So I think that we, you know, not to pat ourselves on the back, but I think approaching it, discussing it briefly, acknowledging what's going on, but then saying, look, we're going to try to give you an escape and some entertainment for an hour to talk about sports, I think is really important. So, um, you know, again, we, we just, we wanted to skip over our finally funny, like we normally do uh, on this show to just sort of talk a little bit about, uh, the, the, the sad and upsetting state of, of where we're at right now. And hopefully by the time we do our next episode, things have calmed down quite a bit around the country. It doesn't mean that things are fixed by any means. It doesn't mean that things are better, but maybe the the tensions have been, you know, de-escalated some uh, and we can fully get back to normal, um, you know, when, uh, when, when the next show comes, but I just wanted to acknowledge that. And I do really appreciate what you're saying because, you know, you bring that, um, you bring that experience of, of playing, of being on the field, being in the locker room when I don't as much. I mean, I, I, have it. I didn't really play much, you know, after middle school. So I don't really know a whole lot about what, you know, what's going on there. So, you know, I do appreciate your words for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we kind of, you know, to be obviously blunt with our listeners, we had talked about this before the show, kind of how we wanted to, you know, address the situation. And, and I think, you know, as Tommy and I have joked many a times, you know, we're, we're just, you know, two idiots with a podcast. And, and so I'm, you know, it, if any of our commentary is helpful to folks, that's, that's great. But if, you know, we're just that escape, I feel like we kind of gave, gave folks that, 
too. That was kind of the focus of today's show. And uh, so, and I guess unless you have any other thoughts, Tommy, I, d- I did want to do no. just take a quick second to, you know, thank thanks again to Logan Dold uh, for coming on. We really appreciated his time and, and we're glad to have a little extra Kansas state commentary. Yeah. You know, I think that's probably, probably the biggest uh, misstep that we've made over the last three months is that we really barely talked to K-State. Yeah. Uh, so it was great to have Logan on the show to talk a little bit about K-State football in the fall. And and I agree with you. I think we ought to have him on uh, again once we get into the football season and get his insight on the Wildcats. Uh, so again, just another special thanks to Logan Dold. Uh, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You'll be notified whenever we have a brand new episode that drops. Again, we're on you know all major podcast publishers out there, iTunes and uh, you know, Google Play, Spotify, all the major ones out there. You can listen to us whenever a brand new episode drops. You'll be notified. You can visit our website, cogpod.weebly.com. You can watch full episodes on Facebook and YouTube just by searching for Keeper of the Games. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's at K-O-G-Pod. And of course, you can always follow us individually on Twitter as well. What is your Twitter handle? At WMills94. And of course, you can follow me at Tweets from Tommy. We'll be back with another edition of Keeper of the Game soon for Weston Mills. I'm Tommy Castor. Have a good one. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor and Weston Mills. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod. 